And just to keep with the theme, we're going to talk today about love and war, war and relationships. I've never experienced a military conflict, but I'll tell you, I've experienced a lot of relational conflict in my own home, in work, in, in friendships. I mean, when you think of it, we're very, very little. We grow up first learning to fight with our siblings, Right? Pretty intense fights, sometimes bloody fights with our siblings. Then we get older and we start to fight with mom and dad. And then we start to fight with our friends. Then we start dating, we, we fight with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We get married, we're fighting with our spouse. We have kids, now we're, now we're fighting with our kids and even our grandkids. We get a job, we're fighting with their boss or fellow employees. I mean, it's everywhere. And, you know, part of me would say, like, man, if we could just get past conflict, it's so hard and difficult and all that. But what I've come to learn is this. Conflict is a significant part of every healthy relationship. You'll never avoid conflict if you intend to get close to somebody because your differences will begin to rub on each other and cause friction. Friction is heat. Friction creates tension. And it's yet in that tension that God says, I'm going to grow you through this. Conflict is essential for relational growth. And so we're going to talk about that today, and I encourage you to take some notes because I think there'll be some real practical things you'll take away from this today. John and Stacy Eldridge wrote a book together. Uh, some of you know John Eldridge wrote um, Wild at Heart and s- several other books for men, but they came together as a couple and wrote a book called Love and War, and it was on marriage. And in the first chapter of that book, they write, of course marriage is hard. For heaven's sake, bring together a man and a woman, two creatures who think, act, and feel so differently, you would think they'd come from separate solar systems, and ask them to get along for the rest of their lives under the same roof. That's like taking Cinderella and Huck Finn, tossing them in a submarine, and closing the hatch. And so we see conflict uh, that arises in those relationships, particularly marriage, and we start to respond often differently. Very, very often, a couple will respond differently to conflict. One person will pursue it, uh, the other person will retreat from it. Uh, it's called f- fight or flight. You know, I'm going to get in there and engage in it, and we're going to fight, or I pull back and I just get away. I go in the retreat mode. Another way to say it is some pursue violence and some pursue silence. And you have to look at yourself and say, which one am I? Am I the kind of person that says, hey, let's talk about it. Let's get it on. Come on, I'm ready. Or are you the person that says, uh, not me. I'm going to my room right now. I'm, going to go get, I'm just going to take a walk. I get away from it. And I want to suggest to you there's actually a, a third option that's actually better than either one of those because neither one of those is good. The better option is what I would call graceful engagement. Graceful engagement. It is saying, I will engage in this issue, but I'm going to do it in a way that honors Christ and honors you. That's what I'm going to do. Graceful engagement. And I believe there's a scripture, a beautiful scripture, that that commands that. It's from Colossians chapter 3. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Great uh, word of encouragement from the Scriptures. See, when Jesus came, I shared this a couple weeks ago, he took this word that was in the Greek language called agape, wasn't used very often, because people understood love as, I will treat you as you deserve. If you merit love, I'll love you. But if not, I don't have to love you. If you're like me, I love you. If you're not, I don't have to love you. So we, we like people like us. We like people who do the things we like. And we don't like people who aren't that way. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, there's this word agape. I'm going to take that word. And it's going to be the signature word of my people. 
It's going to be the most descriptive word of who I am and what I do. Because agape love says this, I'm going to love others unconditionally, no strings attached, because love will emanate from me, not from you. I will love you because of who I am, not because of what you've done. And so this kind of love that, that comes from Christ then, then comes from his followers who are filled with Christ. So when Christ is in us, we start to love, not because that person deserves to be loved, but because there's something in me that's prompting me and calling me to love that person. And what I've learned uh, over the years is my wife and I, Julie, uh, we still have fights. In fact, we just had one a couple nights ago. We probably have as many fights as we did early in our marriage. But I would tell you this, they are healthy fights. They make us better. They make us stronger. See, sometimes when you think, uh, we never fight, it's because, yeah, because you never address issues. But when you address issues and there's conflict, but you do it in a healthy way, it actually leads to a greater, deeper relationship. So I'm going to share with you eight things, eight principles that, that I've learned personally from sometimes the hard way. And I believe that if you put these into practice, it can revolutionize conflict in your life. And so we won't have time to go deeply into, into any of them. They all could be a, almost a book by themselves, but we're going to breeze through. And what I want you to be thinking is this, God, if there's an area where I'm, I'm not handling conflict well, Reveal that to me. If there's something, if there's one change I can make, make that so clear today. Like whack me on the side of the head and say, there it is. That's what you needed to hear. That one thing is what you needed to take away because you've been messing up right there. And that's what's hurting your relationships. Okay? So uh, I'm not asking you to do eight things. I'm just asking you to do one. The one that would make the biggest difference in how you handle conflict. So here we go. Number one, ask yourself, no or Go. Know or go. Is it worth addressing? Not every conflict has to be confronted. Because there's always stuff that bothers us. I mean, we all have our pet peeves, right? We all have things that get on our nerves, like, ah, oh, they keep leaving the lights on. Uh, you know, one of the pet peeves in my house is, is when there's dirty dishes in a room other than the kitchen. I just don't like it. I say, oh, come on. But, but I'm okay with the messy desk. That doesn't bother me. Dirty dishes bother me. You know, clothes around in other rooms where they don't belong, that bothers me. Cars that follow too closely, that bothers me. You know, when, it, when our son was young, uh, he, would, he would eat a meal at a restaurant, and then he wouldn't finish the last, like, two bites. And I'd go, finish your plate. He goes, I'm full, Dad. I said, finish your plate. There are kids starving in Africa who would love to have a burger like that. And you know what my, uh, he said, well, package it up in an envelope, send it to them. <laughs> they can have it. I don't want it. My wife finally said, why is this so, such a big deal to you that he eats it all? I said, well, for one, we paid for it. And two, you know, you just don't want to throw it away. And she said, but if he's full, why should he have to eat it? And I had to like back up and go, okay, I'm making a big deal out of something that shouldn't be a big deal. See, we need to determine what are the hills we are willing to die on. What, what, are the, what are the big battles? And you can't make everything a battlefield. If you do, if you're the kind of parent that makes every issue with your kids a battlefield, I'm going to tell you, your kids don't like you. <laughs> they don't. Mom or dad's always picking on every little thing. Don't do it. You, there's some things you go, you know what? He just never makes his bed. I wish he would, but it's not a big deal. The fact that he comes home past curfew, that's a big deal. Yes. We're going to address that one. Pick, pick your battles. No or go. It says in... Um, 
Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Uh, it is to a man's glory, the Proverbs says, to overlook an offense. There are some offenses you say, you know what, no big deal, no big deal. We'll go, we'll go on, it's okay. So I, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape over it. It reminds me of the process if you're doing any kind of house repairs, you're putting in flooring or, or uh, painting and stuff, the miracle of trim Right, Mike? You're, we were talking about yesterday. Miracle of trim. You, I, I put a floor in the house. And I went, and you know, um, all the edges don't hit the walls exactly right. It's okay. We're going to cover all of it with trim. <laughs> it looks beautiful. Love is the trim of a relationship. It covers the imperfections of the other. We talked about it last week, bearing something. That, that's what it is. We're, we're bearing something. This past month, I read a book called Unoffendable. Beautiful book. Challenging book. Uh, and he makes the case, a guy named uh, Brant Harris makes a case. It's a funny read in some places, but he says, uh, we need to be people who are unoffendable. Unoffendable. Nothing gets under our skin to say, like, that offends me. No, no. We're going to be like Christ and be unoffendable. And uh, it challenges us because that's what the Scripture says. There's, there's times when you just say, you know what, that's not going to be a, a big issue. On the other side, though, when there is a big issue, you have to address it. See, that's the other error. Sometimes we say, like, I don't address any issue. Well, you should be. That's an issue that needs to be addressed. That's a problem. And so uh, we had a guy come to church. His name's uh, Raphael Muccino, and Raphael is the assistant head of school at Fountain Valley School. And one of the statements he made that just stuck with me was this phrase, what you permit, you promote. Yes. What you permit, you promote. In other words, if you say, ah, uh, I'll just let it go, you're actually saying, I endorse that. That's good. Keep doing it. Because if you're going to permit it, you're actually saying it's, it's acceptable. And if it's not acceptable, then you need to say, okay, we're not going to permit that here. That's not going to happen anymore. We're going to deal with it. So decide what it is you want to permit. What is an offensible issue and what it's not? And uh, if you say, it's no big deal, I'm going to let it go, then, then you're, you, you don't have a conflict. But if it is, then we go to the, the next several steps. Number two, if you're going to approach it, put down your weapons. Lay down your guns. Put them down. Because often when we go into a conflict, we say, okay, I am so built up over this. I am ready for battle. And so we've got our arsenal of weapons. You know, some of you, your weapon is anger. I raise my voice. I get intense. It works. Okay? Some of you use sarcasm. Some of you use belittling. Some of you use physical intimidation. And those are the, the weapons that we bring into a relationship in a conflict because we feel this is a battle I have to win. And that's the big mistake. Do not see conflict as a battle that one person has to win and one person has to lose. See it as a relationship to salvage. There is a relationship to salvage. It's not about me. It's about we. We've got to, we have to work through this. I don't have to win. We have to win. If this relationship is going to make it, we have to win. Uh, it's just a mindset that says a relationship that needs to be restored, not a battle to win. My wife, Julie, has a phrase that she's used many, many times. You can choose to be right or you can choose to be reconciled, but you can't choose both. If your goal is to prove yourself right or, I say, righteous, then just know this. You're probably going to uh, sacrifice the relationship. If it's so important to you to be right and win the battle, you very likely may lose the relationship and the friendship, maybe the marriage. Do determine what is it that I want 
to win in this. I want the relationship to win. And if it is, then voice that. I just learned it's, it's so important that in a conflict that even you start off saying, uh, for example, to your child, son, your mother and I love you so much. You mean the world to us. And we want God's best for you. But there's a habit that you've, uh, you've gotten into. And it's, it's really affecting our family now. And we need to talk about it. Okay, so you've on the front end address, I value us, value us. Um, in a marriage, hey, babe, um, God blessed me when he brought you into my life. And I, I would not want to be with anybody else than you. But I have to say that there's something that's been bothering me. And, I, and I'd really like us to talk about it. And see, when you voice that first, what, what's, the, what's the response of the other person? Like, oh, my goodness, they love me. And they're coming from a good place. But what happens oftentimes is, is I go in and I've got, a, I've got a message to deliver, Buster. I've got a word with you. I've got a bone to pick with you. And we attack them. And what happens when you attack someone? They put up defense. They're, they go into protection mode. Put down your weapons. Don't go in like you're wanting to fight. And uh, I found it's just very helpful to ask yourself this. I've even written this out in my journal how do I want the other person to feel after this conversation? How do I want this other person to feel? So I get done with this conversation with an employee or a, a child or my spouse, and, they, and we leave. We leave the room. And they walk away. Do I want them to say, like, you know, that kind of hurt, but, you know, I, I know he loves me. You know, I know Dad wants me to do this, but, yeah, Dad's probably right. Or do I want them to feel like, Oof, if I don't do it, they're going to kill me. I don't want to see that anger again. Uh, that's not the response you want, is it? Don't you want them to walk away saying, man, they really love me, and, and they had the guts to tell me something that kind of hurt, but I need to change. So just put down the weapons. Put down all that sarcasm, anger, belittling. Uh, you know the buttons you push, what, what, what makes the other person react. Stop it. Just put those down. I'm not here to do battle. I'm here to engage in this conversation. Third, own your peace. Own your peace. Conflicts are, are almost never 100% one person's fault. And you must come to terms with your part of the problem. It might be 5%. It, I, more likely, it's closer to 50%. But you have a part of this. And you may think, well, they own the bigger part of it. That's your perspective. That's your perspective. That's not God's perspective necessarily. You own a part, and that's the part you're responsible for. You're not responsible for their part. You're not responsible for them apologizing for their part. You're responsible to confess your part. See, confess your sins to one another so you may be healed, the Scripture says. Own your peace. Uh, I had a friend in ministry, excuse me, several years ago. His wife had an affair. And I thought, oh, I can't imagine how to respond if that was my wife. If that was my wife, and I just agonized for this guy. He's a pastor, and his wife had an affair, and how does he live with that? How does he deal with that? And he didn't want a divorce. Went into some counseling, and one of the things he realized very quickly on was he had neglected his wife and ignored her needs to such a degree that she started to crave attention and respond to attention she was getting elsewhere. And he finally had to come to his wife and say, I know that what I did didn't force you to do what you did, but I mistreated you. And I didn't value you like I should. I dishonored you because I committed to love you and cherish you, and I didn't do that, and I'm sorry. And see, when he did that, 
I mean, obviously, she's going to admit her fault. She admitted that. But when he admitted his as well, it allowed them to start working toward healing. And, you know, their marriage is stronger now than it's ever been. See, when you own your peace, it makes it more likely the other person's going to own their part. And it's just, it's just asking God, God, show me what it is. It takes humility and prayerful introspection to look inwardly. David says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God. I was, uh, I was praying recently and said, God, you know, there's things that have happened in a relationship that have, um, it's just like, here we go again. Same kind of cycle. Here we go again. And I, and I said, Lord, why, what does that other person keep doing? What do those people keep doing that's perpetuating this problem? And it was like the Lord said, um, what's the common denominator in all those situations? I said, yeah. Oh, my goodness, it's me. <laughs> it's me. I'm the common denominator. And God said, yeah, right. You're the common denominator. You're, you're actually causing the problem. I went, oh, my goodness. I'm looking at someone else having the problem, and I'm saying, it's actually me. I have the problem. And, you know, that's humbling. Sometimes it makes you weep, saying, oh, my goodness. I didn't realize I was affecting all these people or hurting all these people because of, of what I was doing or not doing. And, you know, if you pray, I really believe this. If you pray and say, God, through the Holy Spirit living in me, show me my faults, he will. If you really desire, he'll show. And sometimes he'll show in a way that will knock you to your knees. And if you want another voice in your life, just ask the people around you. See, when you drive a car, there's, on the sides, there's a spot on each side called the blind spot. And in order to cover your blind spots uh, so you don't get in an accident, what have we done? We have two mirrors. The mirrors allow us to see the blind spots. The people around you, particularly your family, the people close to you, they're your mirrors. They will, they will actually tell you things about yourself that maybe you don't see. So I dare you. Ask, ask your kids, ask your spouse, ask your coworkers. Um, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the, across from the table, across from the desk, across from the room? What's it like to be over there looking at me? What do you see in me? What kind of person am I? And when you sincerely ask it, they'll probably tell you. They'll tell you the good about you, and they'll tell you the one or two things that aren't so good. And you go, ouch, I didn't know that. I, uh, I didn't know I was such a proud person. I didn't know I used words so harshly. I didn't know that my tone was like that. Wow, that kind of stings. But, the, but now you're aware of it. Now you, can, now you can deal with it. You can address it. You can own that peace, own your peace. And here's what I believe. When you start to evaluate, well, who has the bigger peace, I don't think that's, that's a factor at all. What I really think is this. We should always choose to be the bigger person by taking the bigger piece of the problem. The bigger person will take the bigger piece of the problem. Now, you may think, well, pastor, that's not true. If, if the other person had the, had the bigger sin, then they should take the bigger piece. Let me ask you this. In your conflict with God, because of your sin, who took the bigger piece? Who took the bigger piece? Jesus, right? He took the huge piece. So, so why aren't we willing to say, man, I'm, I'm willing to take 99% of this. May not, and it may not be factually true, but it does something when you just say, you know, I know better. I expect better of me. It's like Paul when he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Like, man, I knew better. 
I blew it. I'm, I'm your dad. I'm your husband. I'm your pastor, whatever it is. I'm, I'm in a position where I should be better. I, I need to expect better of myself. So I'm taking the lion's share of this. Bigger person takes the bigger chunk. And then be specific when you own it. Don't just say like, oh, it's all my fault. I never do anything right. That, that's not an apology. That, that's wimping out. Uh, there was a guy in our church years ago. He was leading a, leading a small group. And he said he and his wife had worked out a great plan to solve every conflict. He just takes 100% of the blame. And he says, you know, that ends it real quick. I just say, honey, it's all my fault. And they move on. I said, that sounds terrible. You never correct anything because he just says he doesn't want to fight. She gets very intense and just gets ugly. So he just doesn't go there. But I think if you just can, can go to your mate or your kids or your boss or coworker, whatever it is, your friend, and say, last night, when we were in that conversation about our family finances, I feel like I crossed the line. I was, I was too emotional, too intense, uh, too accusatory, and I'm sorry. I, I'm concerned about our finances, but I crossed the line in the way I talked to you. You know, just be specific. You know, a week ago at, at the staff meeting, uh, when I questioned you in this way, I, it came across that I was judging you and I didn't mean to do that. You know, be specific. When was it and what did you do? And maybe even how did it affect the other person? Own your peace. Fourth, keep the circle small. Keep the circle small. It's a, it's a huge problem. I would say this may be one of the biggest problems in the church in America is that, that we have this desire to talk far too much to the wrong people. Instead of saying, I have, a, I have an issue with someone and going to that person, we don't go to that person, and we go to everybody else around us. And um, the Bible calls that gossip. And it says gossip is like a cancer. It, it, it erodes a, uh, the trust within the community. It erodes the culture. And so you want to keep the circle small. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between, him, between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So just go, just the two of you. If someone bothers you, say, you know what? I don't need to tell five, five friends that I'm having an issue with that person. I mean, think about it. If I had an issue with you, you know, say you said something that offended me, and I said, you know, that really bothered me, and I don't come to you to, to work it out, but I tell people we know together about it. That's, just, that's destructive. That's, that's gossip. In the, in the movie Private Ryan, and there's a great clip about what do you do when you have something that bothers you? And those of you in the military will fully understand this, but this is great, a great lesson even for the church. So watch this. Hey, so, Captain, what about you? I mean, you don't gripe at all? I don't gripe to you, Riven. I'm a captain. He's a chain of command. Gripes go up, not down, always up. You gripe to me, I gripe to my superior officer, so on, so on, so on. I don't gripe to you. I don't gripe in front of you. You should know that as a ranger. I'm sorry, sir, but... Uh... Let's say you weren't a captain, or maybe I was a major. What would you say then? Well, in that case, I say this is an excellent mission, sir, with an extremely valuable objective, sir. Worthy of my best efforts, sir. Moreover, I feel heartfelt sorrow for the mother of Private James Ryan, and willing to lay down my life and the lives of my men, especially you, Ryden, to ease her suffering. He's good. I love him. <laughs> Complaints go where? Up, up, up. 
Not this way, not that way. You know, you complain to your kids about your spouse, that's devastating. You don't, you don't tell your kids how bad your husband is or how bad your wife is. You know, mom's always doing this. It's destructive. You don't, you don't tell coworkers a problem you have with your supervisor. Go to your supervisor. Go to the person. And sometimes we're afraid, like, oh, I can't go to that person because it's so scary. It, it may not go right. And it's not going right telling other people. In fact, I would, just, I would say, like, telling other people doesn't solve it at all. It just fuels it even more. In fact, what it does is feeds into a lot of other um, misinformation. It feeds into a lot of suspicion. It feeds into a lot of very negative things. We want to keep the circle small. And uh, sometimes God allows you to see a problem in someone's life so you can be the person to bring it up. I mean, I've had to wrestle with this. That if I love someone, truly love them, I would love them enough to tell them the hard thing. It says in in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And if you're the type of friend who can never have a difficult conversation with the people you love, then you have a weak love. Because love is willing to say, I'm going to put my relationship on the line because I believe God wants me to share this. But I don't come with pistols blazing. I come to say, hey, I value this relationship, but this is happening and it's hurting and it's affecting people, and we're willing to bring up the hard thing. If you have a friend in your life that tells you the hard things, you are, are blessed. So Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. When you're whispering in the background about someone else, it's, it's like stabbing them in the back. It's hurting. You go right to that person and say, Hey, I have an issue. I just need to talk to you about this person. There's times where we widen the circle just a little bit, saying, I really don't know how to handle this, so I need to talk to someone for advice. But you're seeking advice how to handle it. You're not venting. You're not venting the issue. Sometimes we say, ah, I just need to tell someone what's going on. That's gossip. Okay, that's just gossip. Uh, I just don't vent. I vent with him. God says, vent with me. Look at Psalms. David's always venting with God. That's who we vent with. But if I'm going to a wise mentor and say, hey, I've got this issue, and I really don't know how to deal with it. Can you give me some advice? I'm thinking of doing this. And they say, hey, that's a good, that's a good path. That's a good plan. Or no, why don't you do this? this? This usually works best. You know what? I'm going to try that. Then go solve it. You don't need to go to five other people and get more advice. Be, be committed to doing what needs to be done to solve the issue. Because, you, again, you want the relationship to be restored. You want this issue to be resolved. And so you might say to someone, hey, I'm struggling with someone uh, that, that broke a promise to me, and it's not the first time, and they tend to get real defensive every time I bring stuff like this up, so I don't know what to do about it. And by the way, if you can be anonymous, that's even better. You, they don't, the other person doesn't need to know the names. Just say, hey, I'm struggling with this person. I'm, I'm having this issue. I'm walking through this difficulty. What would be your advice? Because when you start bringing names in, that other person starts, they have a history oftentimes of that person. And they start reading in and, oh, no, not that again. And they start uh, clouding the issue. Just say, this is the issue. I need to f- figure out God's plan for me in dealing with this. And I would say if people come to you, I've always been amazed at churches when people say, everybody's coming to me and telling me about these problems. Say, the reason is because you're a gossip magnet. You don't turn people around and tell them to go fix it. You keep taking it in. Say, tell me more. Tell me, oh, wow, that's, that's really bad. Tell me more. You need to be turning people around and say, we're not solving it right here, and so I don't need to hear it. 
Or if someone says, hey, this thing's going on in my life, say, stop right now. Are you coming to me to help you fix it, or are you just going to complain? If you want to fix it, I'll help you. If you're complaining, I'm not here to listen to it. You need to go talk to that person you have the complaint with. And we need to be big enough. See, I don't know why, but sometimes in the church we feel like, oh, God wants me to listen to that because then I can pray about it. And it doesn't solve it. It really doesn't. We need to turn the person around, help them to be loving and obedient to go address it. Because God wants them to fix it. And so keep the circle small. If it doesn't, even Matthew says, okay, you went there, it didn't work. Now we're going to widen the circle. We'll bring the elders in. We'll bring another voice in. We'll help dealing with it. But start small. Keep it as small as possible. Next, put trust in the gap. Trust in the gap. Believe the best about other people, not the worst. We talked about that last week. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love believes all things. Love believes all things. Meaning, uh, unless I have a track record with you that says you can't be trusted, I'm going to trust you. You know, I always think of, Based on what I know of this person and their character, does this assumption line up with that? And if, if this person's always been honest, always been true, then why am I putting suspicion in here? Because sometimes we may see something that looks questionable or our response to it is like, ah, that didn't feel right, that didn't look right. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't put suspicion in it. Sometimes even people who mean well uh, haven't given us all the information. You know, I went to a dentist recently. I told you the story a couple weeks ago. I went back this week. And I was a little bit nervous. They're going to finish the root canal in my mouth. And uh, fortunately, everything went well. It's good. I'm getting a crown put on the tooth. But I have to tell you, sometimes people in the dental field or medical field, we may feel like they're hurting us. Like, they're so mean. They're hurting us. And we may not understand that what they're doing is intended to help us. Or or we just don't understand things from their side. And oftentimes, that's the case. Uh, We want to put trust in the gap so that we can understand things a little bit better from their side. Number five, or that's number five. Number six, seek to understand. Seek to understand. If there's one thing that I've learned more than anything else is to make a conflict a learning opportunity. I remember years ago when I was um, dealing with the marriage issue, I listened to a tape by a guy named Gary Smalley. Tell you how long ago it was a tape, cassette tape. And on this cassette tape, Gary Smalley said something that just, I had to replay it and replay it and really think about it. It was every conflict is an opportunity for deeper intimacy. And I went, oh, wait a minute. I thought every conflict was an opportunity for a relationship to crumble. He goes, no, no. Every conflict is an opportunity to grow deeper in intimacy with your spouse. I went, wow, I've been looking at this the wrong way. And see, what I've discovered is if we have a heart to understand, it can change everything. See, our typical approach to conflict is I've uh, put up with something that bothers me for so long, but now it's gotten to the boiling point, and now I'm going to address it, and I'm going to address it firmly. I rehearse my speech. I know what points I'm going to emphasize. I know what I'm going to demand of the other person, and we are ready to go in there and do that. But it doesn't usually work. As I mentioned before, the other person will get very defensive. If you approach with aggression, they'll either respond with aggression or they'll retreat. But if you seek to understand, it's kind of like opening a lid. It's like opening a lid to the heart of another person. Every story has two sides. At least two. At least two sides. Every story has two sides. Which side do you know very well? Your side. Which side don't you know well? The other side. Especially if it's a man and a woman. Like, 
I know how men think. I know how I would look at this. And this is what I see. And she sees it very differently. And understanding says, I'm going to build a bridge between my planet and yours. I'm going to build a bridge. And that bridge is built through understanding. So I'm going to walk over my bridge to get into your territory to say, okay, help me see it from your perspective. Help me understand what's going on. In fact, that's the great question to, just to ask. Help me understand. Help me understand what's going on in your heart. Help me understand what you're thinking. Help me understand why you did what you did. I mean, those words are powerful. Instead of coming in and boom, 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 it's, hey, last night didn't go real well. Let's sit down and talk. Help me understand what happened. You know, it just, it brings the tone way down. Like, okay, I think we can talk about this now because nobody's on edge. We're going to have a conversation. You know, this is how God looks at us. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God doesn't say, I said it, you just obey it or fear my wrath. He says, no, no, what I'm asking you to do makes sense. What I'm asking you to do is good. You want to talk about it? I'll talk about it. I'm always right, but talk about it. That's God. God's always right, not us. But when we seek to understand, what we need to seek to understand is not so much the facts. Like, let's, let's rehearse the facts of all that happened. Because we see things. You can get two people see an accident, and the facts may look a little different from their angle. See that in the Gospels. You read the Gospels, they're like, oh, man, they, they're writing different events. No, they just looked at it from different angles. Uh, so you don't look at the facts. Look for the feelings. And I would just challenge you. You want to really, really get to the bottom of an issue? Ask the person that you love, hey, help me understand what's going on in here. It's scary. Because if you ask your spouse that, you be ready. Get the Kleenexes out. Because, you know, we have a thing in our culture where we're pretty flippant of, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. All great. You know, up. Um, but we don't get to the heart of the issue. We don't go below the surface. But, you know, whenever I ask someone, like, hey, you look troubled lately. What's going on in here? <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, it's just very emotional. Because it's like a two-liter bottle of soda that's been shaken up. And you go, Psh, oh, my goodness. Let's tighten that a little bit. You know? And what you're doing when you're, when you're seeking to understand is, I'm using questions to, to understand your heart. See, to me, it's very scriptural to say, I care more right now about what's going on in your heart than what I'm feeling. Consider others better than yourselves. Isn't that what scripture tells us? I, I care about your heart. Tell me what's going on in there. And you know what? When you, uh, when you do that, and it requires a skill called listening. James, James says, be quick to listen and slow to what? Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. But slow to speak. You know, we rehearse what I'm going to say. We don't rehearse what I'm going to ask. We need to do that. And we need to listen, not just with, uh, with our mind. Listen with your eyes. Like, okay, tell me what you want. Tell me what you're thinking. You know, listen with your eyes. Like, look in the eye. Like, tell me. Uh, listen, listen with your tone. I'm... I'm I really care. Listen with your head. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Listen with your voice. How you respond. Like, oh my goodness, I, did, I didn't know that was going on. I didn't know you felt that way. Oh God, that must really hurt. And think about your kids. Sitting down and, and getting them to open up about their heart. I mean, some of you parents have no clue what's going on in your kid's heart. No clue. Because all you care about is conformity to whatever standards you have. But you have no idea 
anger and fear and anxiety going on in your kids' hearts. And I would just encourage you sometimes just to sit down and say, what's happening in here? And it may take a while for them to open up because they're not used to you asking. They, they don't know if you really care. But when people know you care, they'll open up and stuff starts to stream out. And then you stand back and go, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize all this was going on. And that contributes to the conflict that we're having. Seek to understand. That may be worth your tithe today, okay? <laughs> uh, the next one, the next one's still important too. Number seven, share without blaming. Share without blaming. When you blame, you point a finger at someone else, and then you got three fingers pointing right back at you. Don't Don't blame. Don't blame. Um, share reactions. Uh, I call them share I statements to their actions with their you statements. So it would be like this, an I statement and a you statement. I felt upset. That's an I statement. I felt upset when, this is the you statement, you said you were going to be gone Friday night because I really wanted to go to comedy date night. Okay? This, this is how I felt. This is what was going on inside of me when you did this. And I would say, and not that the other person caused it. It's just, this was my reaction to what you did. Because we don't cause other people to get angry. We don't cause other people to be sad. To be, we respond that way. I'm not saying it's good or bad. We just can't pin the blame on someone else because they're not responsible for our emotions. We are. But there's stuff going on inside of us that causes us to respond in certain ways. I had to um, acknowledge this has happened more than once, sadly, but my wife's, sometimes my wife gets these creative ideas like uh, get a new piece of furniture, paint a wall, buy some curtains, some pillows. How many pillows does a house need? Um, <laughs> you know, all these kind of things, new rugs. And I went, what was wrong with the old one? And oftentimes my first response has been, and she's reminded me, how come your first response is, how much did that cost? Yeah. Or how much is your, how, how come you respond like, I don't think we can do that? Instead of, honey, that's a great idea. Let's talk about it. And I had to admit, yeah. When you respond negatively to, to my suggestions, this is how it makes me feel. And so that allows us to talk about it and, and work through it. And instead of focusing on what went wrong, we, we should draw our attention to what would right look like. Because it doesn't, it doesn't help to say, we never go out for a date. But what helps is, honey, we haven't been on a date for a long time. Let's plan one for this week because I love when we have time together. Isn't that more appealing? You know, be solution-oriented, and a mutually beneficial solution is always best. Share without blaming, and then finally aim for peace. Romans 12, 18 says it so well. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, do what you can to make it peace. Because Jesus is the prince of peace. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so when you're, you want to end at a place to where you could look at the other person in any disagreement, any conflict with, with spouse, kids, friends, employees, whatever it is, and then look at that person and say, are we good? Are we good? And if the person says, not quite, okay, then you got a little more to deal with. But if they say, I think we're good. I do, I think we're good. And then you seal it, whether, you know, handshake, hug, prayer. I always love prayer because I think that just kind of adds God's extra seal upon that decision, but we're good. And you know, this isn't just a goal that's nice, 
I believe as Christians, this is a goal that's expected of us. Because back to the verse we started with, this attitude we're to have, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other, it ends with this phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The standard is Jesus. And I'll tell you this, no person has ever offended you or hurt you as much as you've offended and hurt God. That's the whole point of Jesus' parable of the big debt and the small debt. Why can't you forgive the person of their little debt when God's forgiven you of the big debt? There's nothing anyone has done to you that's bigger than what you've done against God. And what did God do for you? What did he do for you? Jesus says, I'll take the load of that. I'll take the bigger part of that. I'll look guilty for that. And I'm not coming with pistols blazing in judgment. I'm coming with grace so that our relationship could be restored. And that's what God wants for all of our relationships, for grace to flow from the cross to us, from us to those relationships, so relationships can be healed. And when we graciously engage in conflict, that's what happens. And I just believe that when your kids and your friends look at how you handle conflict, there's probably no greater testimony to your relationship with Jesus when they see grace-filled engagement. Because that's what he does with us. I'm going to ask you to think through those eight things. Go back down that list. I want you to circle whatever number it is that God says, that's the one you need to work on right now. That's the one you've been missing. That's the one I want you to start practicing in how you deal with conflict. I don't know what it is. It may be that you need to overlook some offenses. It may be that you need to, to, to seek an understanding uh, with your mate, with your kids, whoever it is. Understanding is going to be a goal. Maybe it is I just need to stop blaming and be more solution-oriented. What would be mutually beneficial? I don't know what it is. There's something that God is saying to you today that you need to put in practice. And for some of you, there may be some here today that God's saying, and I want to forgive you today. You've never crossed that line of accepting my son as your savior. He wants to forgive you today. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna sing a song. This is a chance to respond. Prayer partners, if you'd be available up front. If this is your decision today to give your life to Christ, or maybe there's something you just need to give over to the Lord. Maybe there's some, something that's been brought up today that you just wanna come clean with with the Lord. Our prayer partners are here to pray with you today. We're gonna focus our attention on the love of Jesus that's poured out to us. Let's worship.